Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Today we're going to talk about walking by faith. Father God, open our hearts. Open our understanding to your word. This is a living word. You breathed every word. And Lord, we want to understand. We want to literally see what's happening and, 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 and recognize. And then Lord, we want to live the same truths. We want the same realities in us. So open the word. Our minds give us faith to hear and receive. Give me the grace to speak your word and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're at Acts 16, chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. We have gone through the Jerusalem Council. We saw how God insisted that the the Jewish and Gentile believers would live together. There was no place for this division. And then how they did that, we've seen it. In the verses ahead of this, uh, Paul says to Barnabas, uh, let's go back and check on the churches that we uh, we planted there in Galatia. Let's go see how our our brethren are doing. And they end up having a fight. And I I talk about it in your daily Bible study. I don't want to preach on that. but they have a they have a squabble over will who will they will they take John Mark with them and John Mark is Barnabas's cousin or his nephew I think it's his nephew and uh, so Barnabas is loyal to John Mark and and Paul says he's not ready to go I actually believe Paul is correct and argue for that in the in the text uh, Barnabas and John Mark head to Cyprus and Paul gets another traveling partner and that's Silas or Silvanus. Silas is a contraction of Silvanus. And so, so this, 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 this elder from Jerusalem, a spirit-filled elder, uh, Silvanus, goes with uh, Paul, and they head north. And this time they're headed to Galatia, but they're not going to go the, the route they took before. They're going to go right up through what's called the Cilician Gates. There's, and I've seen pictures of this thing. It's a, there's the high mountains there, the Taurus Mountains, and then there's this V, just this dramatic cleft in these things and the road to this day goes through there goes through the Cilician gates and they will go from Taurus I mean Tarsus uh, his hometown and they'll go right through the Cilician gates into Galatia and they'll start their mission there so we're picking up in verse 6 they have already now ministered to the Galatian churches that they founded They've, they've checked on them all and they've delivered them the, the Jerusalem Council information and, and they just spent time with them. And now they feel led to, to go on. And they're going, they're going west and, and they're, they're headed out. And we pick up at verse 6. And they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Would you say forbidden by the Holy Spirit? And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And the spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Would you say the spirit of Jesus? And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. 
a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Would you say a vision? vision. When we had seen the vision, we immediately, pardon me, when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Would you say we? We. Who do you think we is? Who does it include? Luke? Yeah, that's a very important point. All right, here we go. Walking by faith. About 20 miles west of Pisidian Antioch, on the road on which Paul, Silas, and Timothy were traveling, intersected with a smaller road which headed north. Initially, it seemed right to these missionaries to continue going west into the highly populated coastal region called Asia. And they may have passed the intersection and kept walking for a while before stopping and turning around because Luke says they were, quote, cut short from speaking the word in Asia by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't tell us how this was done, but there are a number of ways the Holy Spirit could have corrected them. He might have spoken to one of them or imparted a word of knowledge about what lay ahead, or he may have simply caused them to feel grieved in their spirit as they walked along. But one way or another, they felt they should turn around and take the smaller road leading north. It skirted along the eastern border of a rugged hill country called Mysia until it arrived at the city of Nicaea. Anyone recognize that name? The Nicaean Creed, right? Yeah, the Council of Nicaea. Yes, this city would become strongly Christian. On the southern border of the heavily populated area around the Black Sea called Bithynia. And this time they thought they should go into Bithynia. But Luke says the spirit of Jesus did not permit them to do so. In the previous verse, he said the Holy Spirit was the one who prevented them from going into Asia. Yet here it's Jesus. Did you notice that? Who guides them. And while it is certainly true that the Holy Spirit and the spirit of Jesus, and for that matter, the spirit of the Father, all dwell within us, Luke is probably not trying to make a theological statement about the Trinity. Rather, it is much more likely he's describing the manner by which God's guidance was communicated to them. Apparently, Jesus spoke to one or more of them in a dream or vision, where they simply heard his voice, voice, whether audibly or inaudibly, telling them to stop walking toward Bithynia and to turn around and go back to the road that led west toward the Aegean coast. This road ran along the southern shore of the Sea of Mamara. That's the, this sort of a big lake-like thing before you get to the Black Sea, as you're going along between the Aegean Sea and the Black Sea. And then followed the Aegean coast south, passing through the port city of Troas near ancient Troy. I, I want you to get a sense of what's going on here. Put yourself in, I want you to picture this. Get, get into the story. See it in your mind's eye. The Roman roads... Are, are, are really remarkable for their time. Roman roads had like four layers of, of varying size gravel and all beneath them. I mean, they, they, they had a system of making these roads. And then on top of that, they put the granite or the marble or whatever. They had a dividing uh, uh, stones uh, thing that went down the middle. They had curbs. They had milestones. And these things are maintained. 
and there's bridges where they need bridges. There's, there's, there's uh, gully systems where they need it for the rain. So these are, these are their military roads. This is the point of it, is they can get their armies anywhere they need them very fast. But, of course, God had them build it so he could get his gospel spread. Now, they thought it was for armies. God knew why it was for so anyway, Paul and, and these guys are walking, and there is, a, there is a, a, a Roman road that goes from Pisidian Antioch, which, remember all of that, this is the last city of Galatia, and so as you head west, there's this, this Roman road, and it goes right toward to Ephesus, if you stay on it, all the way to the coast of Ephesus, and through this is the area of Asia. Well, so they're headed along these, this road. And it says they, 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 were, they went some distance. So they passed this intersection with this smaller road going north. And they're headed west into what is a very, would be a very ripe Christian field. Let me list Colossae, Hierapolis, Laodicea, Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Pergamum. Recognize some? Yeah, this whole place would become strongly Christian. It's not like it's not a good field. God's not saying, oh, don't go there. They won't listen. This is a, this will be a hotbed of Christianity. So they, they, they're smart. Come on. And they're, they're headed, they're headed west into this thing and they get part of the way along and it says the Holy Spirit for, cut them short. So they're going along. I think he grieved them. That'd be my guess. I think they're walking along and, and somebody goes, stop, 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 stop. I, there's something I am not feeling right about this. Uh, are you, are you, how do you feel? Do you, do you, are we headed the right direction? It seems like it ought to be good, but for some reason, I'm just feeling grieved. The farther I go, the worse I feel. Well, you know, I'm feeling that too. What is it? I, I don't know. Do you think we should go back? Did we miss the turn back here? Well, I get, I get, so they turn around and they head back and they go to that road. Would, would you notice how they're being guided? Very imprecisely. They do not know where they're going. But they know they went down the wrong road. We're watching the best. If God guides them that way, he guides you that way too. You ever, you ever had this where you think, I'm, I'm following the Lord, I'm doing my very best here, but I don't know, I just made a wrong turn somewhere. Something's wrong here. So they go back and they get on this road and then they start heading north. They still don't know where they're going. They get all the way up. It's 150 miles from that intersection up to Nicaea. In case you wonder how far they're walking, not knowing where they're going. Okay, so it's 150 miles up here. They get up to Bithynia. Now, Bithynia, this whole region around the Black Sea is beautiful area. Full of cities, recognize the name Chalcedon, Nicaea. This place would be a hotbed of Christianity as well. Large Jewish population, all these cities around the Black Sea and in in this area of the Bosphorus and all. They want to head up there? Of course they do. It's a ripe area. And they're going down the road into Bithynia. And again, this time, the spirit of Jesus prevents them. Well, how does that, what's that? I think he either spoke to him in a vision or a dream or they heard his voice. Paul's met him. They know him. And Jesus says, stop. Don't go there. Turn around and go back. So they're okay. So they turn around and go back to the intersection out here and they start heading west. And now they're just walking, walking, walking again on the Roman road west 
all the way across the top of Mysia, under the Sea of Mamara, clear to the Aegean coast. And then the road goes down. It heads south. And they see they're just going down, down, down. It comes to ancient Troy, which is Troas. And there they stop. Here we go. Nearly the entire journey from Nicaea to Troas, which was over 250 miles, just from Nicaea to Troas. It was 150 to get to Nicaea. Ran along the northern border of Mysia. Luke was a, uses a word here, which means they went beside Mysia. Meaning they didn't travel into the interior of the region or stop to minister. And during this portion of their journey, it appears they were not aware of any particular destination. But felt they must keep moving forward. And when they t- took a wrong turn, God corrected them. At Troas, God's method of guiding them changed. Paul received a a vision specifically directing them to go to northern Greece, which is Macedonia. This vision may have come more than once during the course of the night. And in it, Paul saw a Macedonian man beckoning him to come near and saying, come over into Macedonia. Now look at this. Run to our rescue. That's what it says. It says that he had a vision through the night. I, don't, I, think, I suspect it was recurring through the night. And, and he says, it's, he means to, to use that word. Not, he could say in the night, and he does elsewhere. But it's through the night. So Paul sees this Macedonian man. They all knew what Macedonians look like. Alexander the Great was a Macedonian. I mean, everybody's been conquered by the Macedonians. They know their outfits. So they see this Macedonian man, and he's beckoning him. Come near, come near. And then he goes, Run to our rescue. He does it over and over. Paul wakes up in the morning and says, I, 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 I think God's saying something. Up until this verse, 10, Luke has been reporting events that involved Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But he was not personally part of those events. But at this verse... He begins to include himself in the story. Instead of telling us what they did, he describes what we did, meaning it was here in the city of Troas that he joined them. We don't know that Troas was Luke's hometown, but we do know that when they set sail from there, he was with them. It's quite clear from what we've just read that Paul and his team did not know beforehand that they would travel through Troas. Without divine intervention, they would have been in Asia or Bithynia. So Luke could not be someone they already knew and had prearranged to meet there. Do you you agree? I mean, they have no idea they're going to be in Troas. Is that ever obvious? They tried to go to Asia. They tried to go into Bithynia. This whole thing, they haven't a clue where they're going to end up. So they come to Troas, ancient Troy, and, and meet Luke. And one way or another, he joins them. They must have either converted this Greek physician during their stay in the city or met him and discovered he had already been converted by someone else before they arrived. In either case, they considered him already mature enough to join them on their mission. And their confidence in him turned out to be well-placed. He would continue with Paul for years and later on, When others abandoned him during his final trial in Rome, Luke remained loyal. Luke says, when Paul saw the vision, we 
immediately sought to go forth into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us, look at that, called us to evangelize them. All right, turn with me now, if you would, to Romans 8, verse 28. You know this verse, but it's just one of those we just need to keep looking at. What's going on? Where are we headed? This don't go here and don't go here. They've gone 400 miles without knowing where they're headed. And they end up in Troas. What, what is all of that about? I want you to see a deep a truth. Paul is uh, saying here in verse 28, Romans 8. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called what? According to his purpose. And uh, if you love God and you're called according to his purpose, then uh, he, he causes, every, he, he takes a fatherly control over the things in your life and uses everything that comes into your life to meet this purpose. What's the purpose? The purpose is the next verse. For those whom he foreknew, would you say foreknew? He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. These whom he called, he justified, made righteous by faith. And these whom he justified, he also glorified by filling them with the Holy Spirit. Paul says this. He says, God foreknew those who would come to him. It does not say he predestined them to salvation. It says those whom he foreknew who would believe on his son. He saw before he even made the worlds, he saw this great group of men and women from all these ages who would, who would be uh, men and women righteous by faith who would, and would believe in his son. And when he's, he said, I'm determined that, that here's my goal, they will become conformed to the image of my beloved son. I want these humans who believe to become just like Jesus Christ in righteousness, in power. I want them even to think like him. I mean, we're not making little robots or anything like that, but I want them in their hearts to, to, to be like him. In fact, someday I want them to be resurrected and shining with the glory of God as he does. This is hard to understand right now, but the day will come when you will shine like a star. The day will come when you are, you are an adopted child of God, and you will look it. And I, 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 you can look at me like a space cadet if you will, but that is what's going to happen. You are going to be made like him, and it's, 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 it's amazing. We will be given authority. You are being trained right now to make good decisions for a reason. You will rule and reign with Christ in the millennium. And then who knows? I don't know what all means beyond that. It doesn't say. But you are being conformed. You're being trained up. You're being raised as a child. You're not a pet. You're not a pet. You're a son and you're a daughter being raised into your fullness of Christ. This is the plan. It is a predestined plan. It is an unavoidable plan. It is an immutable plan. God's desire, the reason God made us all, is that he would have a whole race of children who are like his son. Jesus being the eldest brother. You follow me? 
All right. So whom he foreknew, he said, this is what they're going to become. That's what he just said there in those passages. Let's go back to our text here. We need to keep some important facts in mind. Whenever we are seeking God's will or trying to understand his timing, number one, God knows those who will come to him. He knew you before you came to him. In his mind, you've always been his. He was just waiting for you to catch up. But he, from the moment you breathed your first little breath, when you were conceived in your mother's womb, he knew you'd say yes to him. He's had a, he has a predestined plan for you. He has seen you, and you are one of his children. You're not one number in a mass that's waving hallelujah. You are a son or a daughter. He knows where they live and where they will be at every moment of the day. Number three, he knows when they need to hear the gospel. Did you notice that? There's a time when people don't need to hear it yet. They're not ready. They're not ripe. They're not, they're not, they're not, they're not in a, an attitude which is going to receive. And he knows when they're open, when they're ready, when he's prepared them, because he's the preparer. And he knows who to send to reach that person. We need to keep these facts in mind because as we watch God guide these, this missionary team, what may seem chaotic to us is not. God knew they had to be in a certain place at a certain time. They were in a hurry, though they didn't know it. They were told to bypass one spiritually responsive place after another in order to arrive in a town called Troas where they would meet a man named Luke. Would, you do, would he put them to all this effort to reach Luke? Yet please notice, through most of this process, God was never specific with them. And these are elite spiritual leaders. If anybody can hear God, they can. Where their greatness shows is that they kept moving forward while not knowing where they were going. Do you follow that? I'll read it again. Where their greatness shows is that they kept moving forward while not knowing where they were going. 400 miles. If you were going to walk 400 miles, where does that take you if you head south? Somebody said last night it was Medford. Anyone want to walk to Medford? Walk to Medford. I mean, if I had to walk home, I'd be feeling bad for myself. Oh, this is terrible. 400 miles, and they don't know where they're going. Would you do that? Come on. This is where we're seeing the greatness. All they're getting is no, not there. No, not there either. They didn't know Luke was waiting for them. A physician and a fluent Greek speaker who would accompany them to Greece and later write a gospel and the book of Acts. But God knew, yet he didn't tell them. They had to discover his plan by walking in faith. This is the way God works. He is, this is the way he's working with his elite, his best, most sensitive leaders. He's not telling them, oh, by the way, I want you to go to Troas. You're going to meet a guy. It's, he doesn't work like that. 
He says, head out. Nope, that's the wrong direction. That's the wrong direction too. Keep walking. Keep walking. And then you discover. Have you noticed that that's the way he deals with you too? You keep wanting to know, where are we going? What's going to happen? When I do this, if I make this, if I follow you on this, what will happen? Please note, he won't tell you. So, and I'm, I'll tell you the real thing for today in my heart. There's a whole bunch of people who are sitting on the fence. You know in your head all about walking by faith. You could teach the lesson I'm teaching right now probably better than I could do it. But you still aren't moving by faith. You have allowed fear to grip you. And here's how fear expresses itself. I know what God's told me to do. But if I do that, what will happen? How will I pay for it? I can't do that. I'm not capable of doing that. It's kind of Moses at the burning bush event. So you've got all these negatives that come up and you are waiting for answers. They won't come. And if you won't move without the answers and a roadmap and what's going to happen, you'll never move. And that's actually a serious condition. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. For they who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them who, who diligently seek him. So there's a, there's a, just as we look at this, what I, think, what I think is so valuable is we're watching the best and we're watching how they walked in faith and how imprecise you might say it was from their point of view. That they didn't know where they were going. That this could have been enormously frustrating for them. And yet they were right on track. Where you see the will of God is when you look back. Right? You've gone through all these, these things and you think, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, okay, let's take that step. And then I, then I took that step and then it took over here and this thing. And then you look back and you go, wow, that's cool. God's been guiding me. But you didn't see it going forward, right? You see it looking back. There's a challenge today. Some of us need to get off the fence. And we'll just we'll go on with this. But somebody of us need to be willing to say, all right, I'll take the step he's shown me and I'll trust there'll be another. Turn with me. I, I, know, I, I think you can probably, many of you memorize this verse, but go with me to Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. It's just, again, just let our eyes see it. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Why don't you read out loud with me when you get there? Proverbs is just, just to the right of Psalms. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Next one. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. God's will can be frustrating because we often don't know why he is directing us as he does. Our natural mind says he's making a mistake. And at a certain level, he may indeed be passing up a great opportunity. But he knows the future. He knows why we need to do 
what he is asking. And notice, he probably won't tell us. He expects us to obey him without understanding and why. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. This is actually the spirit-filled life. It is where we wrestle so much with with, with non-Pentecostal kinds of, of things. Many people want everything rational. They want everything deductive. They want lists. They want systems. They want to study. They want to figure. They want to see it. And that's not all wrong. We're not, we don't just take our head and throw it away. But say what you will about your head and the mind. There is a point where you set it aside and you listen to the spirit. You lean not on your own understanding. You are not wise in your own eyes. But in all your ways, he, uh, Solomon says, know him. That's what the acknowledge thing is. In all your ways, in other words, in every path you're walking on, know God. Walk with him, know him in that path. And he will direct your paths. Actually, it says, he will give you straight paths. You know what a straight path is? In, in the Near East, you'll see it here too out in farmland uh, or, or in uh, grazing land. You see those, those little lines that go across the hillsides? The little straight lines that you see where the cattle or the sheep have walked. Have you seen those? You're driving along and there's all these lines and these ridges. Those are the terms straight paths. And so a person who's on a straight path is following their shepherd. So the shepherd's out front and walking along and singing or something because that's what they do in the Middle East. And the sheep are following along and they'll walk those little rocks. They're walking right along and they don't turn right or they don't turn left. They stay on the path because the shepherd's out front. So it says, if you will not lean on your understanding, but you'll know him and listen to him, he will keep you in that straight path that God has planned for your life. Our natural mind says he's making a mistake. And at a certain level, he may indeed be passing up a great opportunity, but he knows the future. And he probably won't tell us, remember? He expects us to obey him without understanding why. Also notice what damage we can cause if we ignore him and choose to do what seems right in our own eyes. What if, they dis- what if Paul had decided to skip Lystra back in Galatia? Because it was too small and too far out of the way. Remember, he walked everywhere he went. He would have missed Timothy. What if Paul decided to skip Derby after being stoned in Lystra? He could have taken the highway east through the Cilician gates and gone home to Tarsus relatively soon. Who could blame him for wanting to rest and heal from his wounds? He would have missed Gaius of Derby. What if Paul had ignored God and gone into the beautiful populated and closer, may I add, region of Asia, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Sardis, on, on, and on? What if he had chosen to go into the beautiful, highly populated cities of Bithynia, which would later on become a region full of many Christians? I see a Chalcedon. He would have missed Luke. What if Paul had decided to stay on in Troas? Rather than sail to Macedonia, he would have missed Lydia. And a young girl would be, continue to be possessed by a ferocious demon. 
And a jailer would still be in spiritual darkness. And he may never have written Philippians. How would we live without Philippians? That's one of my favorite books of all. Isn't it yours? I just love Philippians. I mean, there's life verses for us in Philippians. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7 applied to Paul as much as it applies to you and me. God has ordered our steps. His plan is not our plan. His goals are not our goals. His timing is not our timing. Anyone want to say amen to that? Yeah. And he will not deceptively manipulate his children into doing his will. God will not deceptively manipulate you. He insists on obedience. Some people just say, well, God, if you want me to do that, just have it sort of work out. He's trying to teach you. He's trying to raise you. He's trying to get you to obey his voice and understand his ways. He's not looking for a pet. He's not looking for a robot. He's not trying to, he needs you. It's you he's after. He will not deceptively manipulate you. He may manipulate unbelievers and force them to serve him. Pharaoh is an example. Cyrus of, of Babylonia is an example. But he asks us to listen carefully and then step out in faith. The process is usually risky and challenging, if not frightening. So what lessons do we learn from these missionaries? What can we apply to our own lives? There are a few. They were being guided because they were pursuing the will of God. Their greatest desire was to see God's kingdom come. They wanted his will, not their own. This attitude is the foundation of everything else. They were not trying to use God. They were trying to obey God. They were disciples. And the promises in the Bible are meant for disciples. Listen, this is really more important than you and I even realize. So many people will go to church, they'll go to religious events, often when they're in trouble, looking for a spiritual way of solving their problems. They're looking for God to help them. They may be having a family crisis, they may need a job, they may have financial things, and they're saying, teach me spiritual principles that will work. I, I need help from God. I, gotta, I, gotta, I know where I'm going. I got an agenda. I got things I need from him. And it's not wrong to come to God for our needs. But I'm going to tell you how this thing works. The promises are for disciples. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. And what people are trying to do is say, I don't, I, I got my own agenda. I simply want God to help me. I want, what do I have to do to get God to help me? And it doesn't work like that, does it? I'm not saying he won't evangelistically be merciful to people that call out to him. He certainly will. But you will not make a lifestyle out of that. And you want to see some of the most frustrated people, some of the most exasperated people on, on earth are people who've been trying to get God's principles to work for them and they aren't and they figure I've done it all. Maybe the Bible isn't true. Maybe God isn't really there or maybe he just doesn't like me. They go through all sorts of rationalization about the thing and here's the root. Your heart's wrong. You're his 
You're his servant. You're his child. You're, you're for, your whole agenda becomes, God, how do I live for you? What do you want me? What is your plan for my life? Who, how am I to be used for your glory? Help me do that. When that's in place, then the promises all work. Did you hear that? They work. God's promises, his promises to his disciples work amazingly well. But the heart must be in order. Secondly, they continually listened for God's voice. They acted on whatever information they had and kept moving forward until corrected. Obviously, they were not afraid of making a mistake. And whenever they did, God turned them. Read that wonderful uh, quote with me from Isaiah. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or the left. Here's that, just that same picture of the sheep on that narrow, uh, on that straight path. You're walking along and for some reason you start turning right off the path. Or you start turning left off the path. You'll hear a voice saying, oops. No, no. This is the way over here. Walk in that. Putting you back on the path. How many times... Have I seen people say, you know, I, I think the Lord's calling me into ministry. And I, I want to go, to, I wanna go to, to school, looking at LMI. And, uh, but you know, I don't know what I would do when I, if I, when I graduate. I mean, I, I don't know where I'd go or I don't know how I'd serve him. I, 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 no, you don't. No, you don't. And so what you're waiting for is I'll go to school and start training for the, for the calling that's on my life once I know how I'll pay for it and once I know what I'm going to do when I graduate. You tell me that, God, and then I'll go. How's it working? This, you're, listen to this. Listen to this. He will not tell you. He will not tell you. He says, I've shown you the next step. That's the one you get. Take it, and I'll show you the one that follows. I did not know that I was, I was, I did not admit that I was going to be a pastor until I was a senior in seminary. I'm not joking. I, I simply went, I, I, I felt like him telling me to go there. And so I went, and I said, well, everybody can use a good Bible education, and they can. So I was just basically getting a good Bible education until I, I went into a real job. And here I am, a senior, and I've got, and, and, and these years have been, God has been blessing. I got, we've got all kinds of people, and I turned to Mary, and I said, now, I need you to be really honest with me. Do you think I'm called to be a pastor? And don't be nice to me. <laughs> I did. I, please say no. <laughs> do you think I'm called to do this? I mean, and I'll be a good one. Yes, I do. Oh, man. It was a senior. I'm finally going, I guess I'm in. That's how I got in. Yeah. Follow my lead. Yeah, no, no. Don't do it. I didn't know anything. It's step by step. Are you hearing this? Fence sitters? Uh Some of you, you've walked this thing. You know, you'd preach it better than I can. But some of you, fence sitters. The ones waiting for the further information. 
sort of, if I stall long enough, God will get frustrated and tell me more. (laughs) No, he's got a lot more patience than you do. Number three, they continually walk. They continued walking. Look at this without knowing where they were going. They didn't grow impatient and quit saying we should have known where we were going by now. They kept doing the last thing he told them to do until he changed their assignment. He, they kept doing the last thing he told them to do until he changed their assignment. Probably the biggest area of failure in most of our lives is quitting too early, growing exasperated and giving up. If he says nothing, do nothing in the way of a change. Well, I've been here so long doing this, and I mean, by now, I, he's probably forgotten me. No. You do what he's given you to do till he tells you differently. So here they are walking 400 miles. I want to hope there's something at the end of this thing. They, and, the, and the maturity in those brothers was they just kept walking. They just kept walking. Right straight to Luke. Aren't you grateful for Luke? Aren't you glad they got Luke? Man, the book of Acts, the wonderful gospel of Luke. That's my, it's just the most beautiful gospel. Number four, they had no formula for guidance. Every time was different. The Holy Spirit one time, Jesus spoke to them the next, a vision the next. They let God decide how he would communicate with them. And notice, they didn't test him with a fleece. Let me let that sink in. Well, God, if it's you, really, then I need to have this happen. Or have this happen. Or it must be God, because this happened. That's divination. It really is. That is not the way you are supposed to be guided. You're a son, you're a daughter. Your father will talk to you. You do not use circumstantial divination. Well, if that happens, I'm going to take it for your will. Let's do two out of three. That is so immature. I'm going to just tell you right up front. That is just dreadfully immature. Stop it. I'll tell you how to do this in a minute. Number, number five. They were humble. They let God overrule their common sense. And that's a big one. Asia and Bithynia were great places for evangelism. But they didn't ask, why should I keep walking 400 miles when I could start right here? You and I can so often reason our way out of this thing going, why should I do that when I can do this? It's not for you to make that call. It isn't for you to figure it out. It's for you to do what you believe him telling you to do. Taking the first step. So how do I start walking by faith? What's the first step? Surprisingly, it is not by going out and doing something scary for God. That won't work because there's no genuine faith in my heart. The place to start is by getting alone with God, turning off the media, hence OSL, and reading his word slowly Carefully until I feel fear lift. Because that's the enemy. You talk to somebody about walking in faith or taking a step of faith, whatever it may be. 
And they may be a longtime Christian. And they'll listen to you and they'll, they'll nod and they'll go, oh, yes, amen, I believe, you know. But you can see in the eyes, the eyes do not understand. There's a fear, there's a chill in the eyes. They, 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 they know it in their head, but they have not done it. And so when it comes to actually doing it, there's a, there's a thing. They're just gripping the steering wheel. At some point, you have to let go. The place to start is by getting alone with God, turning off the media, reading his word slowly. See, what you're doing is getting close to him, calming down. How long does that take? How long does it take you? We have this uh, weekend retreat. We call it a silent prayer retreat. Where from Friday afternoon through Sunday lunch, we will kind of cover you, coach you, be there for you. But basically, you turn off your cell phones, you turn off your, all of the media and apparatus. We take you to a, a beautiful, quiet place, and you have that much time to just sit with God. Time after time, and person after person, people will come home just with tears. I've had this in my own family, absolute breakthrough in my family. Because we finally quieted down long enough. Because you say, he won't talk to me. Oh, yes, he will. He, he says he will never leave you. He will never forsake every single one of us. Don't, don't go there. Yes, he will. You haven't learned how to hear. And really, you say, well, how do you do that? Number one, we're busy, noisy people, full of thoughts, full of the world, full of issues, worried about the next thing on the day. And calming your brain down, getting yourself quiet is a huge task for some of us. Once you are quiet, he almost yells, it's so loud. People come home going, oh, he told me all this and all of this. Well, he's been waiting to tell you all along. But you couldn't hear. Do not assume because you haven't heard, he's not talking to you. He has no plans for you. He has no counsel for you. That's absolutely false. You haven't, and, and don't, don't think this either. Well, some people are real spiritual and they can hear. There's actually some truth to that, that some people are, do seem to hear easier than others. I, I grant you that. Everybody can hear though. You just get, you quiet yourself down. OSL, what is it? What is, what is the key things that makes uh, Operation Solid Lives work so well? You have to take that morning time you, and you have two weeks where you cut off media. How many was that traumatic for, huh? Yeah. I was surprised how traumatic it was for me. And you cut off the media, you cut off the noise, and then you sit in the mornings and you have this time in the Word and it teaches you how to do that. And then you have this prayer time and all. And you start writing and journaling the stuff that God's giving you. How rich is that? I'm, I'm going to take OSL again, this, this OSL 2 this year. But I'm still doing OSL 1. I still use the process and everything else. It was very, and I had my own. I like this. It's very rich for me. So he talks to me just all the time. Now that I learned to, to, to interact with scripture at, at that powerful way. Yes, he will talk to you. Yes, he will. Then I need to ask him to show me what steps, steps, singular, he wants me to take now. Then I must do what he says. And this may take a while to hear it, but you'll know when you hear. And only what he says, 
not try to be heroic. You see, faith comes by hearing and hearing from him one way or another. The important thing is that I believe he is guiding me. That's what brings real faith alive. I'm doing this because I believe God told me to do this. Faith is as simple as that. And if I refuse to turn aside from my course, unless he corrects me, and wait patiently for him to do his part, I will see his faithfulness. The first step is the hardest, but it cannot be avoided. I must step out in faith for myself. No one can do it for me. This is why you can't go to a prophet and have them tell you what to do. This is why you can't take an aptitude test and decide what you should do. This is, none of these things are wrong. But they won't give you faith. You must hear from God for yourself. And when you hear from God and you know what he said, you instantly, automatically have faith. Because you've heard from God. Did you follow that? It's as simple as that. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's say that last verse there from Hebrews 11, verse 6 again. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For it comes to God, must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder. Those. And the author of Hebrews goes on to talk about Abraham leaving his home and going where he didn't know. Sarah being willing to believe at 90 years of age she could conceive a child. Jacob longing for his promise, having the eyes to see the future. Joseph, on and on and on. These are your ancestors. These are your fathers and mothers. You're part of that family. They're your models. Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, Luke, these are our models. This is how they walked, and this is how you and I are to walk too. No one, no one is exempt from walking in faith. Let me ask a question. I'm going to start here. There may be somebody who you have been waiting to really commit your heart to Jesus Christ until you had more information. You've got questions in your mind, you've had doubts, you've had all sorts of issues, and you're sort of waiting for all those doubts to go away and for your questions, your scientific questions and your, your whatever questions, why is there evil in the world, all these kinds of philosophical questions that you, you sort of think, well, God, when you answer those, I'm going to believe, but not until. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an integrous person and I'm, I won't move till you've answered those questions. Does the message today give you any clue about how much he's going to answer you? He, he will somewhat, but you'll never find if what you're looking for is indisputable proof. Faith is called faith for a reason. It's because you don't know for sure. In a scientific way, you can't prove all this. But maybe today you're ready to say, of all the people, of all the voices, of all the things, I trust Jesus. And I'm going to believe that the word of God is true. I'm going to step out in faith. 
I'm going to believe that Jesus Christ is, 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 is not a liar. That what he said about himself is true. I'm going to believe these things and I'm going to trust him. Because when you don't make any decision, that's a decision in itself, isn't it? It's a powerful one. Would you bow your heads with me just one moment? I want to ask anybody today, you've been, particularly, I felt like when I delivered this message, somebody's a fence sitter. You've been sitting on a fence with Jesus Christ. And you need to step out in faith and say, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to believe that he died for my sins. I'm going to believe he rose from the dead. I'm going to believe that he's, and and trust him as my absolute atonement. This day, I'm choosing Jesus. Anybody want to make that decision? Would you raise your hands? Just signal me and say, yes, pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm getting off the fence and I'm trusting him. Yes, praise God. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. This is where it starts. This may seem, yes, I saw your hand, praise God. This is not a game. This is not a little religious exercise. You're just expressing right now. Yes, praise God. You're expressing, you're reaching out in faith and saying, and this is what it is. I believe, my heart tells me this is true. I can't explain everything with my head, but I'm going to trust my spiritual life, my eternity to Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for me, that he rose from the dead. I'm going to bow my knee and surrender to him and trust that he will lead my life, that these things are all true. I'm going to take that choice, that step today. That's my step. Anyone else, you want to raise your hand and say, I'm making that choice today, Pastor. Praise you, Lord. Thank you, Savior. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. All right, church, we're going to pray together. Would you join me in that? If you've prayed this, if you raised your hand, or if you didn't and and, and you wish you had, just pray this and mean it. Here we go. Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus Christ. I can't prove everything. There's questions I can't answer. My heart tells me it's true. With my will, I put my arms around the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I believe you died for me. You're the son of God. God the Father sent you to earth. So that you could die in my place. I don't understand, but with all my heart, I choose to believe all my sin, everything I've ever done, my rebellion, my independence, my unbelief. It's all been put on you and you have taken it away from me that I might be forgiven and clean and loved, that I might be a child of God. Jesus Christ, I bow my knee to you. I choose. I am not a rebel. I am not independent. I am not going to live for myself anymore. I will put my hand in yours and follow you and surrender to you as my Lord. Teach me to walk in faith in Jesus' name. One more thing now. The promise of the Lord is that when you pray that, when you repent and believe is what we just did and you meant it, then he fills you with the Holy Spirit. Now, he's giving you the Holy Spirit this instant. I just want you to reach out in a sense and receive him actively, knowing that this is not just theology. 
He comes now and he lives inside you. So would you put your hand on your heart if you're praying this? Holy Spirit, come and live inside me. I believe in you. You're my power, my goodness, my righteousness. I can't live this life without you. I welcome you into my body as a living temple. Never leave me for all eternity. I love you. You may convict me, encourage me, counsel me. I want to walk with you. Because of you, I will successfully lead my life. In Jesus' name, amen. One more thing. This is just, just brief. But how many of you today say, I have areas in my life right now where I've been fence-sitting. I have not been willing to step out because I didn't know the whole... I wanted a road map, and he's given me only one step. But today I will take the step he's shown me. I will not just go rushing out and do it. I'll sit with him. I'll listen to him. But as he shows me, I'm off the fence today. I'm going to walk the walk he's given me. This is dangerous and serious. It's not a game. How many say, you raise your hand and say, I'm in. Hold it up. Father God, see our hands. We're off the fence today and following you. We're walking by faith in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.